Listen, I'm very excited today. Uh, we've been in a series. Our, our theme for the year is love your neighbor. And we haven't even talked about loving your neighbor yet. We spent six weeks talking about loving God and what that looks like. Because Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, which is the second and greatest command, or second, second commandment, second only to the greatest commandment, excuse me, which is love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we spent the first part saying we can't love our neighbor right until we love God right. So we talked about loving God. And then we talked about receiving God's love for ourselves because the Bible says that we love Him because He first loved us. So the, the degree to which we love Him is the degree to which we've received His love for us. And many of us struggle to receive His love. And that moved us into the next part where we beginning to talk about loving your neighbor. But He said, love your neighbor as yourself. And as we've been talking the last couple of weeks, many of us just don't love ourselves at all or love ourselves well. We've talked about rejection and we've talked about all kinds of things that keep us from moving forward. And so it was last year, maybe toward the last part of the year, I spoke to Liz. Liz, why don't you come on up? Would you put your hands together? Liz is going to share her testimony today. I felt like God spoke this theme to me middle of the year last year. And so as we were approaching the end of the year, I spoke to her. I said, would you consider sharing your testimony? And, and I knew at some point we were going to end up talking about loving ourselves. And she was like, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> but she's been through a journey and I can't wait to hear. I only know bits and pieces of it, but she's going to share just a moment about just her journey of coming from a place of just really hating herself into a place of accepting God's love. And so I want you to open your hearts today. And if you're one of those people like me and many others who struggle with rejection and feeling unloved and unlovable and all of the things that a lot of us struggle with, probably 100% if we were truthfully, if we were truthful, 100% of us have struggled with that at some point in our lives, if not currently in this moment. But I want you to open your heart and receive what the Lord would say through Liz today. Let's pray, Father, in the name of Jesus. I've already prayed for Liz privately, but I pray for her publicly. Thank you for the anointing of God that will be on her life to share words, God, of encouragement and inspiration. But more importantly, God, words that will be anointed and that will break the yoke of bondage off of people's lives. God, we give you praise. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good morning. I'm sure many of you, when he said Liz Goodman was speaking today, was like, who's that? <laughs> That's because I usually hide in the back because I pee like 10 times a service. <laughs> so, um, so when Pastor Randy talked to me last year, I definitely was not ready. Um, still working through some things, still working through things now, but this time I knew I had to say yes. So we've been um, in Matthew 22 lately, and so where it says, love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? I mean, it sounds really simple, right? Self-explanatory. But what if you don't love yourself? But I love God. I help others. That's got to count for something, right? Isn't that enough? Do I really have to love myself? I've asked myself these questions and probably a thousand more over my 20-year walk with Jesus. 
And in all honesty, I haven't always loved myself. In fact, it would be closer to the truth to say a good portion of my life I hated myself. I loved God, and I loved people, so I thought that's all that mattered. Just surrender everything to God and serve until your hands bleed and your heart gives out. If you needed toilets cleaned, got you. Children's worker, video booth operator, kitchen cleaner, event volunteer. If I was able to physically help, I would. I didn't realize that I was trying to earn my place, to earn acceptance, to earn love. There's nothing wrong with serving or helping. Churches survive on volunteers. Most couldn't function without people giving their time and their talents to help. Our church couldn't function without the many amazing people you see every day and the ones you don't. But it was my motives behind this compulsion to serve, to work, to earn, that didn't align with God or his word. In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says, For grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Why was I trying to work my way into heaven, into acceptance? In short, because I didn't feel worthy of God's love. Why didn't I feel worthy? That's the question. I knew the stories, stories of God's love acted out in Sunday school. If you know what Sunday school is, you're old like me. <laughs> the same stories that I have taught in children's church. I can quote you scriptures about God's love. Scriptures like 1 John 4, 7, and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God, and knows God, and he, do, and he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. But what does that really mean? More importantly, what did it mean to me? My view on love came from the idea that you serve, you work. You were only as valuable as your contribution, you were only as loved, you were only loved as long as you didn't cause waves and could contribute to the work, to the team, to the friendship. I really, really don't want to dig into the depths of my past. It's kind of painful. But God told me I didn't really have a choice and that I have to share. I have to be willing to be vulnerable that for you to understand how I learned to love myself, you have to understand why I didn't. I don't know exactly when I learned that I wasn't enough. I can't pinpoint an exact moment when I first felt my heart crush. But there are many moments that I have lived over and over again in my mind. With God's help, I'm going to share a few of them today. In elementary at the Christian school I was attending, it was third grade. I thought our playground was awesome. We had this huge tire that, you know, was like half dug into the ground so the kids could climb up on it. And it had a rope hanging from a tree. You know the kind I'm talking about that you could just swing off of and jump. The one with all the big knots. The rope you had to use your arm strength to pull yourself high enough so that you could ride it back and forth before you fell off and then ran to do it again. Yeah, that rope. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I would try so hard, but I could never ride the rope. That was bad enough. But one day, this kid, well, he decided he should tell me a few things about myself. How I was wasting everyone else's time because I kept trying. I should just give up. I'm too fat. It's why no one wanted to be my friend. <sighs> my little eight-year-old heart broke. Enter my first question. What's wrong with me? <sighs> the following year around Valentine's Day, I had a crush. I spent hours agonizing over just the right card. You know the one, a cute little card that said, I like you without saying I like you. <laughs> because of course I liked him. He was super cute. He was nine, I was nine. So it's time for the class card exchange. I took a risk and I slipped that Mickey Mouse card into his Valentine's folder on the back of his chair. Would he like it? Would he like me? My little nine-year-old heart fluttered with hope and anticipation. We got to open our cards and the classroom buzzed as we explored all the candy and everything we got. At some point, I realized the buzz was more than excitement. It had turned to Snickers. I looked around and he had my card in his hand. He looked like he wanted to be sick. His friends reading my card, laughing, passing it back and forth, amongst themselves. I wanted to die. Later, one of his friends told me he would never like me. I was too fat, and he only likes pretty girls. My heart broke again. Question number two, why wasn't I enough? Middle school, probably some of the worst years of my life and any kid's life. Kids are absolutely awful to each other in middle school. It's worse if you look even slightly different than the norm. And I was different. I was a smart kid who read a lot, didn't really have money or cool clothes. I had learned to stay to myself, but, but this school was big. Surely I could find some friends here. Surely I could be accepted. So many things happened, but one above all stays with me to this day, so very clearly. I was in math class. I was good at math, so it was a fairly comfortable place. We were doing group work in pairs. Everyone was finishing up their work. My partner and I had completed the work, and we were just talking, you know, just laughing, talking about random things. He was my friend. It was nice to have friends. Well, a girl decided that apparently that wasn't okay. So she called out my partner in front of the class, said something about it being so sweet, and just look at the two of us. She loudly asked my partner if he was gonna take me to an all-you-can-eat buffet for a date. He was mortified. I didn't blame him. I sat horrified, pinching myself as hard as I could, to keep from bursting into tears. I hated myself. It wasn't a question. Um, if you can put up the high school pictures. In high school, it was worse. I was the fat, awkward girl who had no self-esteem, was way too smart and too literal, and didn't have much money. 
I lived in daily fear, filled with anxiety. And this is before we really knew what anxiety was. I had to ride the bus where the torture would begin every day. I tried to tune out the taunts and read whatever book I had on me. We didn't have cell phones or iPods back then. I would get to school and find my few other fellow awkward people, or I would run to the classroom of the few blessed teachers who would let me in early so I could sit at my desk hiding. Somehow, even my attempts to hide didn't work. I had become the favorite target of one particular guy. It was his daily delight to find me and make me the target of whatever new rounds of tortures and taunts he had come up with. I got really good at hiding. I didn't go to football games or dances or proms. I wanted to disappear. I remember making two decisions in high school. First, to be as smart as possible because intelligence wasn't determined by my size. Second, to make myself as invisible as possible. If I could go unnoticed, then maybe I could escape the torment. My questions remained, why wasn't I enough? You might think that this would make me despise those who were cruel, but it made me despise myself. What was so wrong with me that made everyone treat me so cruelly? If you can put up that next picture for me. The damage was deep. It would cloud my perspective for most of my life. In college, I had a guy follow me to the car from the mall to ask for my number. I asked him if he lost a bet or if it was a bet for him to ask for my number. He looked shocked from the accusation. <laughs> Needless to say, he didn't call. More confirmation that I wasn't worth it. In Alaska, when I lived for a bit, I was going to Walmart, minding my own business. I just needed some groceries. And as I was walking into the store, a couple of guys, late teens, early 20s, were walking out. And you know how Walmarts are set up. We have the two entrances, grocery, home. I was walking into the home side. They were coming out of the grocery side. They followed me, laughing, taking pictures, video, pointing it out, saying things. I don't know why people felt that my size gave them the freedom to tear me down. I felt so much shame. I was ashamed to be me. I was embarrassed for my family, for my friends. Shame was my constant companion. It joined in with the ranks of worthlessness and hopelessness. They clutched tightly to my barely feeling heart. Every incident stabbed my barely beating heart. Every decision I made was calculated evaluated, thoroughly investigated, and planned. I didn't do spontaneous. I needed to carefully think and plan and research. Could I fit? Would the seats break? Could I handle the walk? Would there be enough space? Was this event likely to result in people making fun of me? If I couldn't control the variables, I didn't go, I hid. 
I built my walls higher. I built them wider and I built them thicker to keep me safe. Being damaged and broken was my undercurrent and would affect every aspect of my life for a really long time. I was raised in church though, so I knew I was supposed to serve. That's our duty as Christians. It was here I was needed. My service was thanked and praised. Who doesn't love a good volunteer? I was accepted because I served, so I equated service and work with love. In Encanto, there's a song that Luisa, the strong sister, sings called Surface Pressure. One of the lines says, under the surface, I'm pretty sure I'm worthless if I can't be of service. When I heard this line, it resonated my heart, within my heart. So I served and I worked at my church, at my job. Life was about helping others and serving others, so it was okay. If I could work hard enough, serve often enough, then maybe, just maybe, I could get a few outer girls and maybe that praise could fill my emptiness, even if just for a little bit. In 2012, I was living in Alaska and I ended up falling and breaking my leg pretty badly requiring emergency, emergency surgery as a result of my injury, sorry, requiring emergency surgery and as a result of my injuries, I couldn't work or function in Alaska anymore. I needed a wheelchair and a walker for months. My mom came up and helped move me back to Florida. I was 26 and I had to move back in with my parents. I was sleeping in their living room. I couldn't work, I couldn't serve, I could barely care for myself. I was completely useless. All of my worst fears were coming true. I had no value, no worth, and no hope. Every measurement I had used for my worth was gone. I was face to face with myself. I had no value. I hated myself. Unfortunately, it would get worse before it got better. I wasn't going to take my life. I'd been down that road too many times in my teens. I didn't want to disappoint my family. So instead, I tried to eat myself to death. How could I love my neighbor as myself? I truly believed I wasn't worthy of love. That was the pattern that had been shown to me over and over again. God used this time when I couldn't work, about a year, to get me ready to start the long journey of learning to love myself. I struggled to walk again. I had no job, no freedom, living with my parents. I remember that I was bawling and crying out to God. I was begging him to take me home to heaven. I didn't want to live anymore. And he'd tell me he's not done with me yet. It felt cruel. Why would this loving God take away my only value, my only worth? So what did I do? Did I listen to what God was telling me? Did I seek biblical counseling or therapy? No. Instead, I adopted a child. The ultimate act in being needed of having to keep working. 
To be truthful, I believe with everything in me that I, it was absolutely God's plan for me to adopt my daughter, and I love her greatly. But we have walked through the hellfires of Mordor. <laughs> so there I was. Now I'm raising this spitfire adolescent girl who has been through more trauma than most. I'm supposed to lead her, to be a godly example to her, to show her how to love herself, accept herself, how can I do that? I barely like myself. At the same time, I was working to finish my master's degree to become a therapist. I remember thinking, God, you funny. You know that, right? I asked him, how am I supposed to do this? I don't love myself. I felt his response in a single word. Exactly. Finally, towards the end of 2017, I began the very long journey of learning to love myself. I knew I needed help. I'd felt from God that if I didn't do something about my health, I was going to die sooner rather than later. I knew I had to get my physical health under control. Honestly, I hadn't thought much about the emotional or mental side of healing at this point. I was a wreck, fluctuating for the last few years from five to 600 pounds. It was truly a miracle I was functioning or even working a job. I went to my doctor for help. I didn't know what to do, but I knew I couldn't do it alone. From about October 2017 to June 8, 2018, I was focused on my physical health, swimming, tracking my food, losing weight. This forced me to start facing some of my fears. I mean, I was in a gym in a public place. And time and time again, God would use those little old ladies in the aqua aerobics classes to encourage me not to give up. I'm really grateful for them. June 16th, 2018 is a date I will always remember. It's the day I had gastric surgery. The surgery sa saved my life. That surgery paved the way for me to be the person who stands before you today. But that surgery didn't fix the traumas or the deep wounds that plagued my heart and my mind. I could, wish I could tell you by the next month, I was all healed. No more struggles, no more doubts. That I saw myself exactly as God saw me. It's just not the truth. It would take me the next four or five years to work through the process of loving myself. God has taken me through this crazy process. It's a painful process. He's forced me to face feelings and emotions, to face conflict, something I avoided with at all cost, to advocate for myself and learn healthy boundaries, to be willing to be open and vulnerable, to have hard conversations, to share when words or actions of others trigger me, to not shut down and hide. I've cried more in the last two years than I have for most of my life. And believe me, that says a lot. If you can put that next picture for me. How did I learn to love myself? I wish I had five easy steps to loving yourself, or just a few formulas for you to follow. Do this, X, Y, and Z, and you'll be good to go. I don't. But I will share some of the things God has forced me to walk through that have allowed me to be open to the change and open to loving myself. 
First was forgiveness. I had to forgive myself for what I had allowed myself to become. For where I allowed my focus to be on my work, my own work, and not on trusting God's love for me. For my gluttony and the sin it was to replace God as my comforter by turning to food instead. For my belief that God could have done better than me, forgetting that he created me just as I am. For not taking care of myself physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. In Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That included me. That includes you. Maybe your issues aren't like mine, and you're struggling to relate. But what I'm up here saying today applies to anything that's holding you back, anything that is keeping you from loving yourself. Maybe... You are or used to be into drugs. Maybe you used alcohol to numb away your pain. Maybe you slept with anyone available to validate your worth. Maybe you're drowning in debt because you shopped to fill the void in your heart. Maybe it's something else. There is nothing that God cannot forgive. He already did. So now it's your turn to forgive yourself. The next thing he walked me through was trust. This is really hard for me. After years of a locked heart, I had to trust that God loved me just as I am. I had to relinquish control. After years of trauma and controlling my environment and controlling all aspects of my life for safety, I now had to trust that God loved me as much as the Bible says and that he would take care of me. I could trust that God loves others, that he loved my family and my friends, but did he really love me? In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him or submit to him, and he will make your path straight. I would repeat this scripture over and over. And in the times of my life where it would feel like pure chaos or overwhelming fear, and I didn't know what else to say, I would just say, I trust you, Jesus. I would repeat it over and over again. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you. I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you. And so far, he hasn't let me down. The next thing he had to walk me through is redemption. The act of being redeemed didn't really understand what does that even mean. In Webster, it says redeeming is serving to offset or compensate for a defect. That's what I thought I'd been doing for most of my life. I was trying to compensate for my defects by earning my way into being worthy. I had to accept that nothing I did on my own did any good. Working really hard didn't let me love myself better. I'd say it made me love myself less because I was never, never able to work hard enough to feel loved. Giving my time, my money, skills, definitely didn't change how I felt when I looked in the mirror. Even as I was getting healthy on the outside, my mind and my heart were still a mess. But God is so cool. 
and he gives us so much grace. In Lamentations 3.22, it says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. God didn't allow my messy heart to consume my life or my soul. Instead, he loved me as I talked with therapists and counselors. He loved me as I learned healthy ways to express my feelings instead of hiding. He loved me as I took steps to becoming a healthier version of myself, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually. He nudged me to open my heart to the people that he would place in my life, people he used to reiterate that I am enough just as I am. My work and my gifts do not equal who I am. He told me it's okay to trust again, that it was okay to believe again, that it was okay to dream again. He even went a step further. In Psalms 126.5, it says, those who sow with tears will reap songs of joy. God showed me redemption in ways I could never expect or plan for. Currently, I work as a therapist for the school district. Two of the schools that I serve are the same middle and high school where all those years ago I was destroyed. I have been able to not only walk down the halls without feeling fear and anxiety, I've been there to be able to help kids who feel helpless and alone. They know that there is someone who cares for them, who believes in them, who is encouraging them. After all, that's the reason I became a therapist, to help those who feel alone know that they're not alone and that they can change their life. I don't have time to tell you of all the things God has shown me getting this message ready. <laughs> I'm still healing. I am not perfect or fully healed yet. But I can tell you, if you're ready, God's ready. He already loves you. The messy you, the unsure you, the hurt you, the you that thinks they can't be loved, I was wrong. I am worthy of love, and so are you. He keeps loving me as I'm working through this mess. If you can put that last picture for me. This picture here is a year apart. Last year at this time, I thought I had reached the pinnacle of my healing. I was finally recovering well from a surgery that almost took my life as it took off 14 pounds of excess skin. It was a long, traumatic process, but I thought I was finally on track. Then unexpected circumstances occurred that sent my recovery spiraling for the next year. And even today, I'm still working through some recovery. One of the hardest things that I am still working through is that my worth is not tied to my weight. Just like your worth is not tied to whatever is holding you back from loving yourself. I have been defined by my work and my weight my whole life, whether by other people or just by myself. A couple of days ago, as I was getting ready for today, I was bawling because I was looking through the pictures. And I saw these two pictures here. And as you can see, the one on the left is, you know, I'm in more shape than on the one on the right. So I judged myself yet again by my weight. My old insecurities rise into the surface, ready to drown me with all my 
inadequacies once again. I even told my sister, maybe I shouldn't speak today. If I'm such a failure, failure and still battling with these insecurities. And before she could even respond to me and, well, pretty much yell at me that I would be speaking, I felt God in my heart saying, that's why you have to share. That all you guys out there have to know that loving yourself is an ongoing process. That setbacks will happen. There will be times when you fail. There will be times when you want to give up. You will want to say, this Jesus stuff isn't worth it. I'm still hurting. I'm still tempted. I'm still failing. I know because I have said every one of these statements and many more. But I am standing up here with my insecurities laid out before you to let you know that you can. You can forgive yourself from whatever is holding you back from loving yourself and from loving Jesus. The process of healing and loving yourself is ongoing. You will have troubles. You will struggle. You will want to give up. You will wish that you'd never said yes sometimes. But it's worth it. I have one more scripture to share. This is my life first, and it's been a life first for a long time. Um, it's how I've gotten through so many of things as I've recovered. Jesus said in John 16, b in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God promised to never leave us, to never forsake us. I can tell you from my own messy life, he has never left me. He has never forsaken me. He is always there. Even when I gave him a million reasons not to love me, he still said I was worthy of love. If you're ready, he's ready. You're already loved. You're so good. I don't even know what to say. core values here is authenticity and it doesn't get any more authentic than that and I would encourage you to be introspective to look inside your own heart look at your life look at yourself in the metaphorical mirror what mask are you wearing that you need to take down so that you can fully receive and embrace God's love for yourself, his love for you and your, and the way that you should also care and love for yourself.
you know, on the front end when I was talking about all of the musicianship and all of the things trying to, I was really trying to be retrospective looking back for the moment that we just had in worship. But I really think God was having me say it for future, for this moment. So now I don't have to repeat all the stuff that I said. I'm going to ask Adrian to play. And I just want you to take a moment. Close your eyes. Maybe you want to kneel at your seat. Maybe you want to come to the altar. And just let the love of the Father wash over your own heart and over your life. And if there's something that you need to confess to Him, if there's a vice, quote unquote, something that you're dealing with, she listed all kinds of things, and there are certainly a plethora of more things that we could be dealing with to replace. That we use those things to replace our relationship with the Lord. I just want Adrian to play, and I just invite you to just close your eyes and have a moment, just you and the Lord, without me rambling and talking about anything, and allow the Holy Spirit to just wash over your heart and begin to bring healing to your life your areas of insecurity. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.